This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello, and welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher, Jeremy Myers. This is episode number 64, in which we're looking at Jonah 1.1. Let me ask you, do you think, considering all the upheaval in the world today, that it is likely that the country of, say, Iran or Iraq or maybe even North Korea would ever invade the United States? And if they did invade, do you think it's likely they would win? Lots of people in the United States think that they'll never invade, and uh, even if they did, there's no way they could ever defeat the United States military. Uh, But what if it did happen? Just consider that for a minute. What if that did happen? What would it make you think about how God is running the world, about how God is treating, you know, one of the Christian nations on earth? Do you think that uh, some of the claims that people make right now Uh, You know, about how the United States is the best nation on earth under the protection and blessing of God. Do you think it would make some people rethink that idea? Do you think it would make some people stop believing in God, doubt God, that maybe start claiming God wasn't good, wasn't righteous, wasn't powerful, something like that? Well, of course those sorts of questions would come up. And surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly... It is exactly these sorts of questions that the book of Jonah helps answer, believe it or not. We're going to begin to look at some of that in today's episode of the One Verse Podcast. Uh, And it's critically critically important that we understand this episode. It's sort of a background study of the book of Jonah because uh, this cultural, historical background helps us understand the mindset the people were in uh, when the events of Jonah happened and when the book itself was written. Uh, Once we understand this background information, what's going on in the days of Jonah, it's then that we see how the message of this amazing little book is quite appropriate for us as well. And let me invite you, by the way, as well, if you enjoy these One Verse Podcast Bible studies, please join me and a bunch of other people in my online discipleship group. I'm adding new Bible studies and theology courses, e-books, to that area all the time, at least I hope to, coming up soon. Uh, Most of these teachings I put on there are not found anywhere else. You won't find them anywhere online uh, other than in that discipleship group. Uh, I've got these online theology courses, some e-books, other things. Uh, To get started, just go to redeeminggod.com slash join. And uh, when you join, you can interact with me in that discipleship area as well as the other people in the group. Uh, It's sort of like an online community of like-minded people we study the scripture and theology together so we can better theolo- uh, uh, better follow Jesus. So if you want to join, just go to redeeminggod.com slash join to learn more. So today we're looking at Jonah 1.1. Well, sort of. <laughs> uh, the verse, uh, Jonah 1.1 says this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... All right, and that's it for the verse. <laughs> uh, yes, you know, if you've been listening to some of my One Verse podcasts, you, uh, I read these verses and you think, there's not much there, let's move on. 
And uh, we usually find a whole lot there. And honestly, all we're looking at in in uh, one one is the, the the phrase that says Jonah the son of Amittai. This is just a historical background, cultural background, sort of a, a biography of Jonah and the situation going on at that time. Because as I said in the introduction, we need to understand this stuff if we're going to understand the book of Jonah and see what the book of Jonah is saying to us today. So, uh, what was the primary issue in the days of Jonah? When it was uh, the events were taking place, and when the book was being written down, uh, what were what were the questions? What were the fears? What were the the challenges that the people were facing? Well, uh, the people of Jonah lived in eighth century BC. Which you know, if you're like me, you don't really know. You can't really line up the kings and events that well. So let me just tell you: this is uh, during the reign of King Jeroboam the second. You can read a little bit about him in 2 Kings 14. Uh, anyway, uh, 2 Kings 14.25 says that King Jeroboam II, ready, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, now look at this, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. All right, did you, did you, basically what happened is there's King Jeroboam and he goes out to war uh, because a prophet named Jonah said, hey, king, if you go out to war, Israel's borders or boundaries will be expanded. You will get more territory King Jeroboam, if you go out to war. And so King Jeroboam II did this, and the campaign, the the battle was successful, according to the prophecy, Israel's borders, boundaries, um, expanded. Now, now prior to this prophecy, it had actually been quite a difficult time for Israel. There was lots of affliction, bitterness, lots of people had become poor and sick, um, Uh, But, uh, you know, God, through that time, had saved the people of Israel from destruction. And uh, Jeroboam II, by the way, was not a good king. Northern kingdoms didn't have any good kings. They were all bad. Uh, And that was the same for Jeroboam II as well. But nevertheless, God used him to help rescue Israel by giving him this victory in war uh, to fulfill the prophecy of Jonah. And so uh, that's what happened. Israel's future looked bright. Things were turning up, right? As you can imagine, because of this, Jonah, the prophet, became very well-known. He became a popular prophet. People viewed his prophecy about the expansion of Israel's borders, uh, uh, Israel's territory, sort of as evidence. Hey, God's on our side. He's fighting for us once again. Right? God is blessing our nation again. He's going to make us rich and wealthy and prosperous again. This is the first step in Israel finally receiving the full allotment of land that God had promised to them way back in Exodus 23 and Numbers 34 and Deuteronomy 1, a bunch of other places. And Israel never did receive all the land that God promised to them. And so Israel saw this as maybe the first step in finally achieving, you know, gaining all of the land that God had promised to them. All right, and uh, along with this expansion, by the way, of, of land, 
Israel was also sort of experiencing a time of peace and prosperity. There was an economic expansion. Uh, money was coming in through business and trade. People were getting rich, right? So, so, and especially just like today, but especially back then, and especially in Israel, people viewed economic prosperity, financial prosperity, as a sign of God's blessing, right? And, and so that's by the that that's the reason, by the way, when this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, you know, what must I do? And Jesus says, go sell all your possessions, right? Jesus was basically telling the rich young ruler, give up all the signs of God's blessing in your life. Uh, don't don't depend on ble- on your riches as a sign of God's blessing. But that's what's going on in the days of uh, Jonah as well, during the reign of King Jeroboam. People were becoming wealthy. Oh, people said, this is a sign of God's blessing upon us. There was, there was optimism about Israel's future and their role in God's plan. By the way, um, Jonah wasn't the only prophet at this time. Amos and Hosea were also prophets in the days of Jonah. And uh, it's interesting, they had something very different to say about the economic expansion of Israel. Uh, Very different. So if you want sort of a different perspective from other prophets at the time, you go read Amos and Hosea. All right, so that's what's going on in Israel. But there was one other event, something that was maybe a little concerning, and it was what was going on off in the east. Out east, off in the east, there was another nation which was also expanding in territory. They were expanding their borders as well. They were becoming more prosperous. They were growing, their military was growing in power and might. And that other nation was Assyria. Okay. Um, by the, by the ninth century BC, so prior to the days of Jonah, a little bit, Assyria had gained control of the entire Mesopotamian region and was beginning to think about westward expansion toward Israel. All right, so they had conquered everything, you know, in the Mesopotamian area, and now they were looking around the way powerful nations do to say, okay, where can we go next? Who can we conquer next? And they saw Israel, this up-and-coming rich nation, out to their west, and they said, hmm, maybe they should be our next target. Uh, It was only... um, they went to war against King Ahab, but they lost in 853 BC. But a few years later, King Jehu came to power in Israel, and he joined forces with Assyria and ended up paying tribute to them. He just, he just sort of gave up. He surrendered to them. Anyway, by the time of Jonah, Israel had freed themselves from Assyria, and there was a revolution of sorts, and uh, so they had freed themselves from Assyrian dominance, and they didn't want to return to it. Okay, so that's sort of the history. Israel had attacked, and, and Jesus said, okay, okay, we give up. All right, here's money. All right, and, uh, and then uh, but they, they rebelled, and they won their independence, and now they had becoming more powerful, a bigger threat, and they were thinking, there's no way Assyria is going to come against us again. You know, besides that, Israel was God's chosen nation, right? Assyria, on the other hand, uh, they were that evil, idolatrous nation out to the east. They, they, they worshipped false gods, number one. But aside from that, they were wicked and brutal. If you want to just you know, read a description of them, go to Nahum 2 and Nahum 3, and uh, you can see some of the things that Nahum has to say about the way Assyria treated its enemies. 
Archaeologists have done some studies on this as well. They've discovered many Assyrian inscriptions uh, from the time period, which reveals how they treated their enemies. And it's, it's a little graphic, but they often flayed the noble people alive, right? Uh, that's cut the skin off their bodies, skinned them alive, and uh, and then draped their skins over piles of corpses of their defeated enemies. Uh, they, they often dis, dismembered enemy soldiers. Uh, they cut off their nose and ears and gouged out their eyes while they're still alive. And then eventually beheaded them. And then what they would do is they would take these severed heads and place them on sharpened stakes around the walls of the captured city. Imagine that. Wall decoration. Uh, now that's what they did with the dead people. Those who, 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 who remained alive didn't really fare much better. What happened is their lower lips were pierced with fish hooks on lines. And then they were led back to Nineveh. Um, by these fish hooks stuck through their lips. And then in Nineveh is where they were tortured or sold as slaves. All right, so this is Israel. I mean, that's, that's what Assyria is. But now imagine yourself as Israel and you're looking out to the east and you say, look at that nation over there. They worship false gods. They're evil, horrible, murderous barbarians out there. Look at the way they treat people. If it comes to war with them, surely... Surely God will let us defeat them, just as he had done 75 years ago, when we threw off and, you know, no longer had to pay tribute to them. All right? So, when the events of Jonah took place, the, the, the nation of Israel was in a, a state of, um, well, they were getting more powerful. But off to the east, the nation of Israel, I'm sorry, Assyria, was also starting to grow in power, more and more power. All right, but, but the people of Israel said, believed that since they were God's chosen people, and the Assyrians were these wicked, evil people to the east, well, God would continue to bless and protect Israel from the Assyrians. Okay? Now, you can sort of see how some of that, I'm not making any prediction here about Iraq, Iran, North Korea, nothing like that. But I just want you to see that it's sort of the same thing going on in many Western countries today. We're growing in power. Things look up. Well, for many people, they look up. For some people, they think the apocalypse has fallen upon us. Um, but, uh, you know, you look at the numbers and jobs and, and the stock market and, and unemployment and things like that. Everything seems to be starting to look a little bit better. Um, but, you know, but we'll see. And but then off to the east, we have these quote-unquote wicked nations, right? Some describe them as idol-worshiping nations, and they're often uh, portrayed by some in the news and the media and some politicians, even some pastors as these, you know, these backward barbarians going around chopping people's heads off and torturing people. And, you know, some of that, some of that happens, I suppose. And so we would say, if we ever go to war with them, certainly... God would defend and protect and fight on our side against them. Now, if any of that were to actually happen, I, I don't know what, would actually, you know what the outcome would be, but I just want to bring this up to show you that the mindset we have today, there's a mindset that's in the world today, is very similar to what it was in the days of Jonah. All right? Now, if you're familiar with some of the scholarly research 
behind the book of Jonah. You might say, yeah, but Jeremy, all scholars know that the book of Jonah wasn't actually written when those events were taking place. It didn't take place until several hundred years after Jonah lived and died. And Right? Um, you know what? The truth is, I, I actually agree that the book of Jonah wasn't written until hundreds of years after the events recorded in the book of Jonah actually took place. All right, so let me back up. You might say, what? If you know me, I'm pretty conservative in my views in Scripture and inerrancy and inspiration, all of that. Uh, here's what I think happened. I think the, the events in the book of Jonah actually did happen uh, as they're recorded, and I believe that the story of Jonah originated with Jonah himself. All right, there's just too many details in the story that I think could have only come from Jonah. And uh, so he made this story and he started telling it. And uh, he went around as a prophet teaching this story. And I believe it got passed down orally for hundreds of years until several hundred years after it happened, it got written down. All right, and there was reasons it got written down when it was. And what were those reasons? The reasons were because the very same thing that was happening in the days of Jonah was happening in the days that it got written down. And whoever wrote it down, we don't know who it is. That person is unnamed. We Maybe some other prophet, some other Hebrew prophet, we just don't know, uh, said, you know what? This story of Jonah that he was telling as a way to teach and encourage and instruct the people in his day, it's very significant. It has a lot of similarities with what we're going through in our day as well. Just to sort of give you a heads up, here's what happened. Uh, the Assyrians, by the way, grew in power and prominence and in 721 BC ended up invading and conquering Israel once and for all and carting them off into captivity. So that whole battle I was telling you about, both Israel and Assyria growing in power, each eyeing the other, who was going to win? Well, Assyria finally won in 721 BC and they carted Israel off into slavery, just as I said, with the fish hooks and the whole bit, Okay. Uh, so anyway, what happened is now the people are exiled. They're out of their land. They're away from their land. They're slaves in Assyria, slaves to the Assyrians. They are captives to their enemies. And they're wondering, they're looking around and saying, what happened? How could God have allowed this to happen? You know, what, they want to know what went wrong. It looked as though God had abandoned them and they wanted to know why. Why were they being punished, right? Is God still God? Is he still on our side? Is he still even our God? Is Maybe he's not powerful enough anymore. You know, maybe he can't deliver us from bondage and slavery. No, that's not true. He is God. Well, then why are we here? Why would he forsake us this way? Why would God allow his people to be defeated by those who were clearly evil? Now, you know... Again, I am not predicting this, but you know that if Iran or Iraq or uh, North Korea or somebody was to invade the United States and win, these would be the exact same questions many Christians in the Western world in the United States, these are the questions that many of us would ask. What happened? Why didn't God protect us? Isn't God on our side? How could God let these people defeat us? Okay. Um, and, and by the way, the people in exile, these Israelites in exile, many of them wanted to return to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. It's a common theme in Jonah 2, by the way. We'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, and they found themselves being critical and, and even judgmental of the beliefs and the behaviors of the idol-worshiping people around them. That comes up in Jonah 1. 
Well, and Jonah 3 and Jonah 4 as well, all the way through the book. Jonah is quite critical of everybody else he encounters and their idol-worshiping ways. All right, he's very judgmental of them. Uh, and, and so, when the book of Jonah was finally written, yeah, Jonah himself was long dead, the story had been passed down, but now it got recorded, and it was recorded this way to be an encouragement, to an instruction to the people who had returned from exile, um, and, and the questions and issues that they were facing. You know, and some of them were tempted to say that the reason they got defeated in the first place is uh, because they had, you know, compromised with, with idolatry and followed the ways of their pagan neighbors. And so now there were some people saying, we need to shut ourselves off. We need to have no contact with the surrounding nations. We need to limit our interaction with them. Okay? It was sort of a nationalistic, uh, patriotic sort of approach to viewing the world. The problems in our society, everything went downhill when we started interacting with people from other countries, you know, following their ways, following their customs and cultures. We need to go back to the way it was and just shut ourselves off. Let nobody in, let nobody out sort of a thing. Okay? So, uh, initially... Anyway, that's, that's sort of the mindset. It's the mindset in Jonah's day, and it's very similar to the mindset several hundred years later when some of the people who had been carted off in exile, when they were starting to return. What went wrong? What can we do to avoid this? And really, how should we view other people? The people in the nations and countries around us, especially those who seem to threaten our very existence or threaten our way of life. So uh, what, what the story of Jonah is going to do, just to give you a little heads up, it's going to start um, in Jonah, well, the very next verse, Jonah 1-2, which we'll pick up with next week, with this attitude. Jonah reveals this very same attitude. Um, God tells him to go to Nineveh, and what does he do? He goes the opposite direction. He's going to go to Tarshish. Uh, but what, what will happen, and we will talk a lot more about this in episodes to come, what's going to happen is the narrative, the story, is going to challenge Jonah to view the people of Nineveh the way God views them. And as we watch Jonah struggle with this, your view of other people, my view of other people, well, it's going to be challenged as well. The way we view other nations, hopefully, will come into conformity with the way God views other nations. We're going to hopefully gain a divine perspective, a godly perspective, about the people in this world that surround us, that are different of us, maybe even worship a different God. Maybe they are barbaric and behave in backward ways, at least from our perspective. But we're going to see how God views them and hopefully develop God's heart for them as well. So uh, that's Jonah, son of Amittai. <laughs> that's all we looked at. We'll sort of look at the rest of uh, verse 1 next week when we actually look at verse 2. I'll sort of back up a little bit. This whole thing, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Okay, why that's significant? We'll talk about that. But uh, I started today's podcast with these questions of what you would think about Iran or Iraq invading and conquering the United States. You know, that scenario might be preposterous. Maybe it is. Uh, but again, that is exactly the sort of issue the people of Israel were facing in the days of Jonah, and then hundreds of years later when the book of Jonah was likely written. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
ancient Assyria was actually located, it, speaking of which, in what is today Iraq. <laughs> so it's closer to what we think. All right. Um, Assyria was what we call uh, today, we call Iraq and uh, Turkey. So it's the same geographical region is all I'm saying. And the people of Israel saw that threat growing in the east, and they said to themselves, there's no way God would ever let them invade us. Even if they did, there's no way God would ever let them beat us. After all, we're God's people. They're evil people. They are our enemies, and so therefore, they are God's enemies. And, uh, of course, later Assyria did end up invading and winning. And so that later group of Israelites had the same questions that the people had in the days of Jonah. They wanted to know what happened. How could God let Assyria defeat Israel? Israel was God's people. Israel had the law of God. The Syrians were evil idol worshippers, weren't they? <laughs> Look, you could take all those questions and apply them to the way many people, I don't know which country you might be from, whatever country you're listening to this from, you know, Canada, United States, Great Britain someplace maybe some listeners in Australia, New Zealand, someplace. I don't know what your view is of your nation, your country. And as part of that country, I don't know what your view is of people from other countries. Maybe people from Eastern countries or Middle Eastern countries. What is your view of them? We got this big issue right now in the news about refugees. Should we let refugees into our country or not? And in large part, the way you answer that question depends on how you view those refugees. We also have this issue about Iran and uh, North Korea developing nuclear bombs, all right? What would happen if one of those countries developed a nuclear bomb and then used it on your country to invade, uh, or some other country, Israel, for example? What does your theology say about such things? If they were to do that, would anything change in your theology, in your view of God? Well, look. However you answer those questions, the book of Jonah is going to call it into question. The book of Jonah is going to challenge your view of the rest of the world. It's going to make you think twice about God's involvement in politics. <laughs> and it's going to be quite a ride. I'm excited for it. I hope you are too. Uh, studying Jonah, as you can already tell, is not going to be just about Jonah, but about our own day as well. So we'll see more of this next week when we pick back up in Jonah 1-2. Make sure you join me. Uh, and also make sure you join uh, join me in the discipleship area of redeeminggod.com. Uh, in fact, right now I've got a course in there on the church and, and then another course on the gospel. And I'm adding a new course, hopefully very soon, probably around March sometime, I hope, maybe sooner, but we'll see. And um, all the new courses uh, are available for free if you're part of the hope or love discipleship level. But uh, you can sort of get a trial-free membership by joining the Faith one, and then you can get a free course that way too, and some free lessons in those other courses. Anyway, to learn more, you see all this there. It's pretty self-explanatory when you see it laid out. I got a little chart shows you what you get, and uh, what's part of the discipleship levels, the Faith, Hope, and Love discipleship levels. You can learn all that about uh, about this discipleship by going to redeeminggod.com slash join. All right? Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to see you there. And I can't wait to see you back here next week as we continue our study in Jonah 1, verse 2.